Thank you for joining us at Key Life Fellowship for our pulpit ministry podcast. Each sermon on this podcast is from our 11 a.m. Sunday service. We are glad that you have joined us digitally, but would love to see you in person on Sunday mornings at either 9 a.m. or 11 a.m. Now, let's open God's Word and ask Him to reveal His truths for our lives. If you would, turn with me to John's Gospel in the 12th chapter. We are continuing our journey through John, and we are beginning chapter 12 here this morning, and we've seen all sorts of people. We've ran into all sorts of people in this journey through John. Not only have we ran into all sorts of people, we have also run into all sorts of responses to Jesus. There are many. They have witnessed the miracles of Christ that we have seen in Scripture face to face. And they walk away still not believing in Christ, still not bowing down, still not following Him as Lord and Savior. We've seen these people who have seen the miracles. We have seen the people who have heard His teaching with such authority and power. When Jesus spoke, it it is the very Word of God being poured out into the ears of these people as they were there in the different places that we have seen Jesus preaching. Yet they still did not get it. They still didn't believe. And they remained in their lost, dead, sinful state. And they walked away from Christ, seeing the miracles, hearing the words, and still not believing. It amazes me. It astounds me. But I know this, after, after preaching for over 25 years, this glorious gospel, the truth of God's Word, There's one thing that I do know and that I have learned is this, that some get it while others don't. Some get it while others don't. We're going to be looking at that today in great detail in John chapter 12 of those who get it and those who don't. Even in this room today, I believe this, I believe some get it while others don't. And I don't bring this message today to you to simply state the obvious, that some get it and others don't. My prayer is this, that today, God would graciously open the eyes of those who don't get it, by the examples of what we're going to see in Scripture, of those who do, that He would graciously open your eyes today to the truth that you would believe that you would turn to Jesus Christ, repenting of your sin, to Him, and Him alone as your Lord and your Savior this very day. So let's turn our Bibles and our eyes to John chapter 12 as we Jump right in here. Verse 1 says this, six days before the Passover. Remember, there is no accident about anything that's written in Scripture. John is letting you know this, that in a week, Jesus is going to hang and to die for the sin of those who would believe. And here He is, six days prior to this. Six days before the Passover, Jesus arrived at Bethany, where Lazarus lived whom Jesus had raised from the dead. We just saw that in chapter 11. Here a dinner was given in Jesus' honor. Martha served while Lazarus was among those reclining at the table with him. And then Mary took about a pint of pure nard, an expensive perfume, and she poured it out on Jesus' feet and wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. 
But one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, who was later to betray him, objected. Why wasn't this perfume sold and the money given to the poor? It was worth a year's wages. He did not say this because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. As keeper of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put into it. Jesus replies to Judas, leave her alone. Leave her alone, Jesus replied. It was intended that she should save this perfume for the day of my burial. Whether Mary knew that or not, she owned a valuable vessel full of expensive oil or perfume. You will always have the poor among you, but you will not always have me. Meanwhile, a large crowd of Jews found out that Jesus was there and came not only because of him, but also to see Lazarus. Shouldn't he have been enough? (laughs) They wanted to see Lazarus because they'd heard the story. Whom he had raised from the dead. Verse 10, so the chief priests made plans to kill Lazarus as well. For on account of him, many of the Jews were going over to Jesus and putting their faith in him. I want us to see this from this text as we have already spoke of in our introduction. Some get it, while others don't. I want to talk to you about that because we see these people clearly defined in this 12th chapter of John. Those who get it and those who don't. What I want to do is I want to look at that first group, those who get it, as we see this in verses 1 through 3, some honored Jesus. Those who get it, I assure you of this, they will honor Jesus. Verse 1 says, six days before the Passover, Jesus arrived at Bethany where Lazarus lived, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. And here a dinner was given in Jesus' honor. Martha served while Lazarus was among those reclining at the table with him. And then Mary took about a pint of pure nard and expensive perfume. And she poured it on Jesus' feet and wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the fragrance of perfume. I want to show you that this first group of people, they, they get it. These are the people who honor Jesus. Here they are. They are at a friend's house. Uh, Matthew chapter 26 and Mark chapter 14 testify that this is a friend of theirs named Simon. And they're there at his house and they are there for one reason, one reason alone, just as we should be here today for one reason and one reason alone. And that is to honor Christ. They are here and they are at this special dinner to honor Christ. They are approaching this with the right heart. And I'm going to show you what I mean. They're approaching it with the right heart, proving that they get it. Let's first look at Martha. Martha. It says that here a dinner was given in verse 2 in Jesus' honor. And this wonderful statement here, and I want you to underline it in your Bible. Martha served. What a simple statement. Martha served. By her service to Christ, she proved that she gets it. Oh, many people say that they get Christ, that they are Christians, but yet they never serve and honor Christ by their service. It says, Martha served. Oh, you could read through this and miss that glorious statement. Here he is. She's not looking for anything spectacular. She's not asking for a miracle. She's not asking him to do anything. She is content with just serving her Savior. There's not any fanfare for it. She's there. And she's serving Christ. 
And how is she serving Christ? Well, first she's serving Christ by literally serving Christ. Offering her time, her talent, and her resources for Him. Well, this was a big deal to her, and as we have already been introduced to Martha, we can come to this conclusion very quickly about Martha. She was a go-getter. Don't you love to see a go-getter for the Lord? That person who wants to serve Him with fervor and diligence, who wants to get to work, who wants to get busy, who's not afraid to get dirty, who doesn't mind just serving the Lord and wants nothing in return. These are the people who get it. Martha gets it. Why? She's serving Jesus. Those of you who don't serve Jesus and only are served by the body of Christ, you might not get it. But Martha gets it because she's serving Jesus. And how do we see that come out of a person's life? Let's look at Martha as our example. She's serving others. You can't serve Jesus if you're not serving others. Did you know that? She's not only serving Jesus here, she's serving everyone in this household in the name of Jesus. She is honoring Jesus by serving others. Oh, if the church in today's culture could get that. That Mary was being an example of everything that Jesus taught. Matthew chapter 22, Jesus teaches us this lesson in verse 37. It says, Jesus replied, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind, with everything that you have. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commands. What is Jesus saying here? Jesus is saying exactly what Martha is confirming here. That if you really get it, if you truly know Christ, you will be serving God and you will be serving others. Why? Because you truly love God. And because you love God, you truly love others. And here we have Martha honoring Jesus, getting it, displaying service unto the Lord. That same type of service that Paul spoke about in Romans chapter 12. As he wrote to the church at Rome in Romans chapter 12, he says in verse 10, Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Honor one another above yourselves. Oh, what a statement. Honor others above yourself. That's the heart of a servant. Watch what it says next. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor, serving the Lord. For the sake of time, I won't read you the rest of that passage, but please go read that on your own. What an example the Lord gives us. What an example that Paul teaches us here in that one small section of serving God with spiritual fervor. And what does that look like? Being devoted to one another in brotherly love, honoring others above yourself, putting what you have on the back burner aside for the glory of God, putting your own thought needs aside for service to the Lord. Here she is, she's doing that. Mary wasn't interested in doing anything for herself. She was doing everything that she was doing for Christ and for others. That's the heart of a true believer. Did you know that? Don't miss that. She gets it. But she's not the only one there that the Lord sovereignly mentions through John here. We see next Lazarus, which we were introduced to Lazarus earlier on in our study. We know that Lazarus died physically and that Jesus raised him from the grave. He walked out of the grave wrapped in grave clothes. We just looked at it. Jesus said, cut him loose. He's not dead anymore. He's alive. I am the resurrection and I am the life. But here we see Lazarus. And watch what this passage says about Lazarus. Immediately after speaking of the fact that Martha served, 
It says, while Lazarus was among those reclining at the table with him. That him is Christ. Now, I want you to pay attention to something here. Lazarus was not just being lazy. Right? Lazarus was not just being lazy and saying, I'm going to sit here at the table, serve me. Please understand what's going on here with Lazarus. He's at the table with Christ. He is welcomed to fellowship intimately with Christ. We know this. We know that in Revelation, one of the churches of Asia Minor was promised that if they would let him in, he would come in and he would sup or fellowship or dine with them. We see this here in the life of Lazarus. He is at the table with Christ. Did you know this? People who get it intimately fellowship with Christ. They fellowship with him through the word. They fellowship with him through prayer. They will fellowship with him at his table for all eternity. Lazarus is not sitting here being lazy. Lazarus is soaking up Christ. You know what Lazarus is not doing? He's not over in the corner with the Pharisees signing the next book deal about how he went to heaven and came back or how he died and he's now alive. He's consumed with Christ. Shouldn't we be consumed with Christ if we get it? He got it. All he wanted to do was sit at the table with Christ, the one who raised him from the dead, not just physically, but also spiritually and most important, spiritually. Here he is at the table with Christ. What an illustration we see of Lazarus. What an illustration we see of our spiritual life. A man who was once dead, but is now alive. And is communing with God because of Jesus Christ. What a picture we see here. We see a picture of what Ephesians chapter 2 tells us in verse 1. It says, as for you, Kirk, You were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who was now at work and those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our sinful nature and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature objects of wrath. So glad that that passage doesn't end there. But because of His great Love for us. God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. What a picture Lazarus paints for us of our spiritual rebirth. The fact that we were once dead in our sin and we have sovereignly by the hand of God according to the grace of God been given mercy in Christ Jesus and raised to new life. What a picture. And not just raised to new life, to say we've been raised to new life, raised to new life so that we can fellowship with the Father because of what the Son did for us at the cross when He died in our place. Lazarus, showing us that people who get it desire intimate fellowship with God through Jesus Christ. Paul speaks of this again in Colossians chapter 2, verse 13. When, it says this, When you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your sinful nature, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all of our sins. Aren't you thankful today that when you were dead, He made you alive in Christ, forgiving you of all of your sins. And now because you are washed of your sin, 
you can boldly and confidently go into His throne room. You can boldly and confidently approach the throne of grace. You will, I assure you of this, if you were in Christ, sit at His banqueting table one day just as Lazarus is sitting here in intimate fellowship with Christ. Soaking Jesus up. Soaking Him in. Communing with Him. Well, if you get it, you'll want to commune with Jesus. If you'll get it, you don't want to miss out on the intimacy that He allows allows you to have with your Creator. You will be soaking the intimacy that He has paid for you to have. You will be soaking it up. Not only will you be soaking up the intimate fellowship with Jesus, that communion, but you will also be settled in the peace of Jesus' presence. Here's Lazarus. Out of the grave just for a few days. He was dead. We know that by the time Jesus got there, he had been dead for four days. And here he is. A man who was once dead. Alive. And resting in the peace and the presence of Jesus Christ. Aren't you thankful for the peace that surpasses all understanding that is in Christ? That we as believers can guard our hearts with? There's no reason for us to be anxious as it says in the Word of God. Be anxious for nothing. Pray, supplicate, rest in the peace that surpasses all understanding which is in Christ. Because that's what's going to truly guard our heart. Here we see Lazarus at the table resting in the peace of Christ. The King of kings and Lord of lords, His Creator and His Redeemer, fellowshipping with Him. What a privilege. Some honored Jesus. Martha by her service to Christ. Lazarus, by his fellowship to Christ. They get it. There's no one who would try to explain away the fact that Martha and Lazarus get it. But they're not the only ones who John mentions here. We continue to read this. And it says for us in verse 3, Then Mary. Then Mary, remember she was the one who was quick to run when Jesus came to Bethany and fall at His feet in worship. Here she is again. Then Mary took about a pint of pure nard, an expensive perfume. Uh, th- that nard was an expensive perfume, and, and it came from India, and it was made from the root of a certain plant, and had to be imported throughout the world. It was very costly, very expensive. It was actually probably the greatest treasure that she has ever had, or ever would have. This treasure was worth a year's wage. And what did she do with it? Watch what happens here. Mary took about a pint of pure nard, an expensive perfume, and she poured it out on Jesus' feet and wiped His feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. Oh, we've seen Martha, who proved that she really got it by her service. We've seen Lazarus, who proved that he really got it by his intimate fellowship and communion with Christ. But let's look at Martha. Martha proved that she really got it. By her worship toward Christ. Please see her sacrifice. She showed this by sacrificing for Him. This expensive nard, which it was called. A very expensive and costly perfume. It was a costly sacrifice to Mary. It was a costly sacrifice to Mary. And she's taking this expensive perfume and what, is she, what she does with it is unthinkable. She takes it. And she pours it into her hair. 
And she uses her hair as a rag to wash the feet that in, watch this, approximately one week from this time will be pierced with nails in her place. And she worships Him by humbling herself at His feet and offering a great sacrifice. Oh, someone who gets it will sacrifice for the Lord. They're not going to give, the Lord, give to the Lord only out of abundance. They're going to give to the Lord out of sacrifice, knowing that He has sacrificed everything for them. Oh, it reminds me of an Old Testament account in 2 Samuel. If you're familiar with 2 Samuel chapter 24, you remember this, that God told David, He said, David, I don't want you to take a, a census and count your fighting men or your kingdom or your horses. I don't want you to do that because you're going to become arrogant if you do. We know that was the reasoning behind it. But David decides that what he's going to do, he's going to count his kingdom. He's going to take this census. And when he does, God's judgment comes upon all of Israel in the form of a plague. David's at a loss. He knows that he needs to repent. And he does. And he knows that he needs to offer a sacrifice because he has sinned. Because he had. He blatantly disobeyed God. And we see in 2 Samuel 24, verse 18, David is going to make a sacrifice because the Lord is going to require it. In fact, Gad tells him this in verse 18 of 24. It says, On that day Gad went to David and said to him, Go up and build an altar to the Lord on the threshing floor of Aruna, the Jebusite. So David went up as the Lord had commanded through, through Gad. And when Aruna looked and saw the king and his men coming toward him, he went out and bowed down before the king with his face to the ground. Aruna said, Why has my lord the king come to his servant? To buy your threshing floor, David answered. So I can build an altar to the Lord that the plague on the people may be stopped. Understand the threshing floor that he was buying. I'm going to give you a little bit of history. The threshing floor of Aruna. It's really the precipice of Mount Moriah. It is the precipice of Mount Moriah where the Temple Mount set. Where it still is today. But not only that, it was the precipice of Mount Moriah where Abraham would have taken his only son Isaac up to the mountain to sacrifice only for God to say, wait. There's a ram in the thicket. Don't harm the boy. And God provide a sacrifice. And David here is buying this threshing floor of Aruna. And he goes to Aruna to buy this to make an offering to the Lord. And Aruna says this in verse 22 to David. Let my Lord the king take whatever pleases him and offer it up. He could have done that anyways had he wanted to. He could have taken it from Aruna said it's mine. I'm the king. I'm taking this over. I'm commandeering it for the nation. But he didn't. He's going there to buy it. Aruna does this. He says again in verse 22, here are the oxen for the burnt offering. He says, not only am I going to give you the place, David, I'm going to give you the oxen. And here are the threshing sledges and ox yokes for the wood. It's going to cost him because he's going to give his threshing wedges that he threshes out grain with. And he's going to give him the yokes for his oxen to burn so that they have wood for the sacrifice. Oh, King Aruna gives all this to the king. Aruna also said to him, may the Lord your God accept you. Watch verse 24. I want you to pay close attention to this. I'm not telling you Old Testament stuff just to tell you Old Testament stuff. I assure you of this. Watch what happens next. But the king replied to Aruna. David says to Aruna, No. I insist on paying you for it. I insist on paying you for it. Aruna is willing to give him everything needed to make the sacrifice. But watch what David says. I insist on paying you for it. I will not sacrifice to the Lord my God burnt offerings that cost me nothing. 
What an attitude. He, like Mary here in this text in chapter 12, she says, it's going to cost me everything, but everything is worth it because Jesus is giving his all for me. He is my everything. David said, no way will I make a sacrifice that costs me nothing. So David bought the threshing floor and the oxen, paid 50 shekels of silver for them. And David built an altar to the Lord there and sacrificed burnt offerings and fellowship offerings. Then the Lord answered prayer in behalf of the land and the plague on Israel was stopped. Had David not offered a sacrifice that cost him anything, I don't believe that the plague would have been stopped because it wouldn't have been a sacrifice at all. And you know, isn't it interesting that there are people who don't get it, who don't understand sacrifice? Right now, many of you are sacrificing time. You are here. And why are you sacrificing time? And isn't it a valuable commodity in the busy world that we live in? But you are sacrificing your time because you love God more than anything. And your time is worth giving to Him. Hear Mary. Following the example of King David, pours out this oil in her hair, wiping it on the feet of Jesus, sacrificing for him at her cost. Sacrificing for him at her cost. Oh, so many people claim to know the Lord, but will give him nothing. I'm not talking about your money, though it does include that. I'm talking about your everything. In fact, Jesus said this, if any man shall come after me, let him deny himself. It's not about you any longer. People who get it understand that. They will sacrifice when they're tired. They will sacrifice when they're sick. They will sacrifice if it costs them money. They will sacrifice if it costs them their very life. If you don't believe me, ask one of the apostles if you get to heaven. And ask them, did it cost you? And they will say, yes, it cost me everything, but it was worth it to have Christ and lose it all. Many people, they don't get it. They don't get it. Mary got it. Sacrificing for Christ. Giving her most valuable treasure, or her previously most valuable treasure, to the one who she valued the most. Oh, that should be our heart if we get it. Sacrificing for Him and then submitting to Him. Oh, she's submitting to Him and watch this humble submission humbling herself at His feet in total adoration, total humility, wiping Jesus' dirty feet with her beautiful hair covered in her most expensive earthly possession, wiping it on His feet as an example of her love for Him. The Jews saw this, thought it was disgusting. I know, what a degrading task, right? The most degrading thing in the Jewish society was to wash another person's feet. What we're going to see in John chapter 13, Jesus took the form of a servant, giving us an example, and is going to do the same. But here she is, submitting to Him. What is she submitting to Him? We know she's submitting a sacrifice. She's humbling herself. But did you know Paul in one of his Corinthian letters says this? He says that a woman's Hair is her glory. Oh, we know this to be true. How much product do you have? How much time do you spend making sure that all the curls are just right? Or if you're into straightening because you've got curly hair and you think God messed up and you want to straighten it. How much time and how much effort and how much money do you put into that? And here she is, not worried about that, pouring a goopy perfume called nard into her hair. Now, I know you ladies spent some hours this morning getting your hair fixed for church. Let me ask you this. How many of you want to put some nard in it today? No, nard doesn't even sound fun at all, does it? 
but she put it in her hair. What does that show us? If her hair is her glory, right? Because it defines her as a woman. And that is how God created her, as a woman. And it brings glory to her and to God to be the woman that God has created her to be. She is submitting her glory to His glory. She's saying, my hair that has been so valuable to me, that is my glory, is worthless in the presence of Christ. It has now become a rag to wash feet. Don't miss that. Here she is taking her own hair in an act of worship, wiping the dirty feet of Jesus, her Lord. Proving that she gets it. Some honored Jesus here in verses 1 through 3. We see that by their reaction to Jesus. But you want to see if you really get it? Are you honoring Jesus? Are you honoring Jesus by your service? Are you honoring Jesus by intimate fellowship with Him? Are you honoring Jesus by worship toward Him? Are you really honoring Christ? Because those who get it will honor Christ. Secondly, as we go through this text, we see this. Not only do we see some who honored Christ, we see, unfortunately, in verse 4, some used Christ. Some used Jesus. Some honored Jesus. Some used Jesus. Let's pay attention to verse 4 as we're going to see a user that we are familiar with. But one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, who was later to betray him, objected. He was objecting to the fact that Mary was giving such a beautiful act of worship to Christ, costing her some very expensive perfume. Isn't that funny? It didn't even belong to Judas, yet he wanted it. It was hers to give, not his. But one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, who was later to betray him, objected. Why wasn't this perfume sold and the money given to the poor? It was worth a year's wages. Now watch this. That sounds great, but it's just a facade. He did not say this because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. As the keeper of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put into it. Jesus says, leave her alone in verse 7. It was intended that she should save this perfume for the day of my burial. Jesus giving the prophetic there, I'm going to die and I'm going to be buried. He goes on and he says this, you will always have the poor among you, but you will not always have me. Was Jesus saying to ignore the poor? No. What he was saying is don't ignore true worship when you're ignoring the poor. Don't ignore true service when you're not ignoring the poor. Don't ignore the poor. Help the poor. Feed the poor. But don't forget why you're doing it and who you're doing it for. Don't exchange one for the other as the social justice gospel in our time so often does. No, love the poor, serve the poor, share the gospel with the poor as you are worshiping and being obedient to Christ, pouring your life out for Him. Some use Jesus. This is Judas Iscariot. Using Jesus here. He didn't get it. And how do we know that he didn't get it? Well, we knew that Martha and Lazarus and Mary got it. And we could see the evidence. Let's look at the evidence of Judas. That he didn't get it. He just used Jesus. This evidence is marked by pretending. He pretended to believe. The whole time he pretended like he was a follower of Christ. When he was not a follower of Christ at all. But he was a traitor who would betray Jesus for 30 pieces of silver. Turn him over to the authorities. He pretended to believe. Many of you are pretty good at pretending to believe. You pretend each week to believe, yet you know inside you've never truly surrendered to Christ. 
You've never truly repented of your sin. You've never truly turned from the world and turned to Christ and Christ alone as your Savior. You are a pretender. You're in the crowd, as we learned back when we talked about Judas the first time in John's Gospel. You're in the crowd, but you're not truly in Christ. You're a pretender. Not only did he pretend to believe, he pretended to care about others. These pretenders always do that. They act as if they have other people's best interests at heart, when in all reality, all they want to do is steal from them. We see this in pulpits and we see this in pews. These pretenders caring or pretending to care about others when they care nothing at all. He was using Jesus. In fact, Jesus, if I can remind you for a moment, in chapter 6 when we talked about Judas before, verse 70, says this, Have I not chosen you the twelve? Verse 70 of chapter 6, Yet one of you is a devil? Jesus calls Judas a devil. It says this in 71. He meant Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, who, though one of the twelve, was later to betray him. He identified Judas as a devil way back in 6. He was a devil, and he was an unbeliever, and he was pretending the whole time, pretending to believe, pretending to care about others. Look at him here. He pretended to care about the poor. He pretended to care about the poor when we know this. It goes on to tell us he didn't really care about the poor. He cared about lining his pockets. He was motivated by selfish desires, his personal greed. Oh, so many in the modern Christian movements are motivated by their own personal greed. Their own personal greed then moves them to devise plans for their own personal gain. Personal greed always leads you to devise some type of plan for your own personal gain. Judas used Jesus for his own personal gain due to his unconfessed, unrepented of greed. Philippians chapter 2 says this, in complete opposition to the attitude of Judas, Paul instructing the church on how we should be. He says in Philippians chapter 2 verse 3, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. But in humility, consider others better than yourselves. It sounds a lot like Romans chapter 12 that we read a moment ago. Each of you should look not only to your own interests, but also to the interest of others. Judas was not looking to the interest of others. He was looking to the interest of himself. He wanted it his way, not God's way. When you see someone who wants it his way and not God's way, you can guarantee yourself this. They don't get it. They don't get it. Because the true follower of Jesus Christ believes in soli deo gloria. The fact that everything is to be done for God's glory alone. And here we have Judas doing the exact opposite. Motivated by selfish desires, marked by pretending, pretending to believe, pretending to care about others, and then moved to take. Moved to take. He is a taker. In fact, John calls him a thief. He knew that he was stealing money. He only took from Jesus and took from others. Because when some would give to Jesus, John would take it. I mean, Judas would take it. And John recorded it. That this is the way that it happened. He never gave anything. You never have one account of Judas giving a single thing. People who get it, give. People who don't get it, take. And here we see G Judas defining the fact that he is a taker, not a giver. Never giving a thing. The only thing that he gives in this passage is a rebuke to a woman 
who was rightfully worshiping Jesus Christ by humbling herself and washing his feet with her hair and her perfume. Judas was a picture, a quintessential picture of the unsaved taker. Oh, churches are full of them. Oh, we hear it like this, don't we? I'm going to this church. I'm going to find out what they can do for me. What they offer me. What they offer my children. What they offer my family. Pay attention to that. That is not the attitude of a Christian. A Christian ought to say, Lord, wherever you want me to go, I am offering my life for you. What do you want? How can I please you? How can I bring you glory? How can I do other things for other people so that they will see not me, you? Judas didn't get it. He was just using Jesus. He was a taker. And again, a quintessential picture of an unbelieving taker. We see even today those counterfeit apostates and false believers and even false teachers always using Christ simply for their own personal gain because they're driven by their own personal greed. They don't get it. They are the opposite of Martha who served And Lazarus, who fellowshiped and communed with the Lord. And Mary, who worshipped Him and gave a great sacrifice for Him. We move to the third point today in verse 9 and verse 10. Some rejected Jesus. They didn't get it. Many of the Jews and many of the Jewish leaders both rejected Christ. Even after seeing him do all that he did, knowing full well his power displayed before them. These were the unbelieving. Look at verse 9. Meanwhile, a large crowd of Jews found out that Jesus was there and came not only because of him, but also to see Lazarus. Oh, they always want to see a show, don't they? Unfortunately, in our country, there are churches who give them exactly what they want to see while they're on the road to hell. They wanted to see Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. So the chief priests made plans to kill Lazarus as well. Oh, what a wonderful group of religious people who were plotting to kill Jesus and said, you know what, let's destroy all the evidence too. Let's kill Lazarus who did nothing but die and was raised to new life in Christ. Let's kill him too so that the evidence is gone. Well, you see their plot and it thickens, doesn't it? Why? They are the unbelieving. They prove this. Their unbelief is proven by their refusal to submit to Jesus. If you don't submit to Jesus, let me assure you of this, you are an unbeliever. Because if you love Him, you will obey Him. That that is submission. Did you know that? I know no one likes the word submission in, in our society. It's a biblical term. And you must submit to Christ. The unbeliever doesn't want to do that. They refuse. Their refusal here proves their unbelief. Not only was their unbelief proven by their refusal to submit to Jesus, their unbelief is also proven by their fleshly desires. Their fleshly desires to be wowed for that first group of Jews who said, we we come to see Jesus, but we also want to see Lazarus because that's a really cool thing. Isn't that interesting? Lazarus himself wasn't concerned about Lazarus. Lazarus just wanted to commune with Christ. And they want to come and they want to see a show. They want to be wowed, right? Uh, the same people that Jesus talks about when he says a wicked and perverse generation seeks after signs, miracles, and wonders. They want to come to the show. 
The whole charismatic movement is built on this. Hey, come look at the show. When the show's over, so are the people. They came only to fulfill their fleshly desires of being wowed by seeing that one who they had heard was raised from the dead. Many of the Jews came to see the dead man. Many of the Jewish leaders came to try to rid the world of the resurrection and the life, the Lord Jesus Christ. They were unbelieving, both groups. Unbelieving, just like Herod was in Luke chapter 23, verse 8. Remember Herod, a wicked man. But yet when he saw Jesus in Luke chapter 23, verse 8, Herod saw Jesus, it says in verse 8, he was greatly pleased. He was greatly pleased. You know what he wasn't pleased for? That Jesus had rescued him from death and brought him into life. He wasn't pleased because Jesus had ushered him out of darkness and into light. He was pleased because for a long time he had been waiting to see him. From what he had heard about him, he hoped to see him perform some miracle. What's the heart of an unbeliever? I'll take a miracle from Jesus, but I don't want to give anything to him, especially not my life. I'll take from him, but I won't give my life. They reject Christ. They just wanted to see the show. These are the unbelieving. They are the unredeemed. How do I know that these people are unredeemed? Because they want to kill Jesus and they want to kill Lazarus. Their murderous heart reveals that they are unredeemed. They don't get it. They are desiring to murder the very one who came to save sinners. They are desiring to murder a man simply for being his friend that Jesus raised from the dead to show the power and glory of God. They hate God. They're unredeemed. And the unredeemed hate God. If you're here today and you're not born again, I assure you of this. You hate God. You are at enmity toward Him, Scripture says. You are an enemy of God apart from Jesus Christ. Aren't you thankful that He reconciles His enemies through His precious blood? Uh, I'm sorry, I thought I was talking to a church today. I said, aren't you thankful that He reconciles His enemies through His precious blood? These are the unredeemed, confused by their own human desires. They were confused. The Jews who were coming to see a show, they were confused. The Jews who were coming to hopefully nab Jesus up and kill his friend Lazarus, they were confused as well, led by their depraved human minds full of sin, full of wickedness. They were unredeemed. They were unbelieving. And thirdly, they were unbroken. They are the opposite of what we see in the life of Mary, her brokenness. They were not marked by brokenness and humility. They were marked by continual pride, refusing to bow down to Christ. Both of these groups, for whatever reason that they saw fit, they refused to bow. This was manifested in their desire to murder Christ. It was manifested in their desire only to use Him to see a sign. Can I tell you this? Those who continually reject Christ, whether you're from the general populace, as we see here, some from the general populace, or you're in the clergy. If you refuse to surrender to Christ and you continually reject Christ, you don't get it. You don't get it. And these people didn't get it, and it was prove, proved by their lifestyle. It was proved by the things that they did there in verses 9 and 10, which moves us to the next section, verse 11, and our final verse that we will be looking at today. And this is good news. 
Verse 11 says this, For on account of him, many of the Jews were going over to Jesus and putting their faith in him. Many were going over to Jesus. I don't want you to miss, miss the wording of that term. They were going over to him. That means just they were leaving something. I want you to see repentance there. Because you don't come to Christ without faith and repentance. They are the opposite sides of the same coin. You do not have one without the other. If you want to know if your faith is authentic, it will be accompanied with repentance. If you want to know if your repentance is authentic, it will be accompanied with true saving faith. Some believed and they came over to Jesus. Even though many didn't, some did. Some did. We know that Martha did and Lazarus did and Mary did. Some among these Jews will. Some among these Jewish leaders will, such as Nicodemus at some point in time. But we're talking about those who truly believe, those whose eyes were truly open to the truth of Jesus. Their eyes were truly open. That's why they crossed over. That's why they left Judaism, that's why they left sin, that's why they left the world. Their eyes were open and they came to Christ. Just as the, the, the blind man in John chapter 9, his physical eyes had been opened by Christ, Christ had opened their eyes so that they could believe and so that they could turn from their sin and turn to Him. He had relieved them of their spiritual blindness resulting in their true faith. These are those whose eyes were truly open to the truth of Jesus Christ. They were also those who had left their former life behind. Again, I told you, you see repentance here. They were going over to Jesus. Going over, that means they left somewhere and went somewhere. What did they leave? Their former life. And they came to Jesus. Just as he said to his disciples, he said, take up your nets and follow me. And immediately, they left their old lives. The thing that they had known for generation after generation in their family. Fishing. And they left their nets and gave it all and followed Christ. These are those who left the former things of life for Christ. Oh, let's be honest for a moment. If you're a true believer here, is there anything that you left that was sinful and wicked that you wish you could go back and pick up? Absolutely not. The true believer sees wickedness as what it is. That thing that Christ died to rescue you from. No, I don't want any of that. In fact, when I inadvertently pick it up now, it disgusts me that I would trample the Son of God underfoot. But here, these believers leaving their lives behind, repenting leaving Judaism, their system of corrupt religion and worship, returning to their Savior, leaving their unbelief that was marked by their open sin, and turning to Christ for forgiveness, trusting by faith in Jesus as Lord and Savior. Oh, they get it. How do I know that they get it? They believed, and they repented. They got it. They understood that the only true way to the Father and eternal life is Christ. They were trusting by faith in Christ and Christ alone as Lord and Savior. Just as he says and is going to say for us in John chapter 14, verse 6, when we get there, he's going to testify that I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no man comes to the Father but by me. You say, well, Kirk, why do you seemingly always say that when you preach? Because He is the way, the truth, and the life, and no man comes to the Father but by Him. Next week, I'm probably going to say it again. Because some people get it, and some people don't. 
And if you don't get it this week, my prayer is this, next week, if God graciously lets you come back, you get it then. Or sometime during the middle of the week, when you're pumping gas at a gas station, he'll send one of his evangelists to come along and to share the truth with you, and they will share the truth boldly, and you'll get it then. I just want you to get it. Jesus tells us that he's the only way. We see in Acts chapter 4, verse 12, again, that Jesus is the only way. Acts 4.12 says salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to men by which we must be saved. That is the name of Jesus. You're not going to get there any other way. People who know that Jesus is the only way, they get it. People who don't, they don't. These believers here in verse 11, they got it. Why? They left everything and they believed. They followed Jesus. Because Jesus is the only one who would lead them to the Father. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 18. It says, for Christ died for sins once for all, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. You want to come to God today? You come to God through Christ. You leave your life of sin and you come to God through Christ. Or you don't come to God. He was put to death in the, in the body, but made alive by the Spirit. You want to come alive spiritually today? And be risen in Christ. Don't hold on to your old life. Turn to Christ and leave that old life of sin and deceit. Some believed, proving that they got it. Proving that they got it. So how do we wrap all this up? How do we wrap all this up? I told you before I've been doing this a number of years only to come to this conclusion. (laughs) Some get it. And others don't. Can I assure you of this before we depart today and before we close this message? I don't get to make you get it. I wish I could. You're dependent upon the grace of the sovereign God to open your eyes so that you can get it. And I pray today that He would graciously allow you to get it. That He would graciously reveal the truth that you are a sinner and you are a wretch and you are destined for hell apart from Jesus Christ. And this very day, you would cry out to Jesus, the only one who can save you and forgive you of your sin and bring you to the Father and grant to you eternal life. I pray today that you would cry out to Him because for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. If he opens your eyes to see the truth today and he gives you the strength to repent and to cry out to him, I assure you of this. You are one of his elect and his desire is to save you this very day. Be saved today. How do we sum all this up? What we've seen. Let's do it like this. Real quickly, let's break down what we have seen in detail simply. Those who get it, write this down. Surrender to Christ. Those who get it, surrender to Christ. Those who get it, serve Christ. And those who get it, separate themselves from sin and the world through the indwelling Holy Spirit. They are made new. Leaving their life of sin. Those who get it, surrender to Christ, serve Christ, and are separated to Christ. Those who don't, They reject Christ. Deny Him openly. We see that a lot today, don't we? I just believe He's another way to God. No, He's the only way to God. They deny Him openly by statements like that. And others that sound very similar. Those who don't get it, they reject and and deny Christ. Not only that, they really only pretend to follow Christ really only pretend to follow Christ. There are many of you who have mastered the skill of pretending just as Judas did. I pray today that God show you that and you repent.
You turn to Christ before it's everlasting too late. Those who don't get it really can only pretend because they don't really know Christ. And those who don't get it remain in their sin and in worldliness and in unbelief. There is no repentance and leaving of their sinful life. They, they keep that and claim to have Jesus. I'll tell you this, no you don't. If you love the world, the love of the Father is not in you according to the Word of God. Some get it. And others don't. So we close with this. Are you one of those who get it? Or are you one of those who don't? Are you one of those who have surrendered to Christ? By faith trusted in Him and Him alone. Or are you one of those still trying to do it on your own and fake it till you make it? Let me assure you of this. You never will. You never will. Apart from Christ, you can do nothing. Perhaps today, God is graciously opening your eyes to the truth. Perhaps today He's graciously opening your eyes to this very moment, showing you that you really are an unbeliever, a sinner, a wretch who is in need of Jesus to cleanse you by His blood from all of your sin and all of your wickedness and all of your deceit and to save you from the wrath of God that will be poured out upon all wicked unbelievers in the end. I would implore you today, put your faith and your trust in Christ. Turn from your sin. And turn to Him and Him alone who is mighty to save you. Let's pray together. Father, we thank You for Your Word. May it be used now by Your Spirit as it has gone forth. May the power of Your Spirit regenerate the dead spiritually here today. Drawing them unto Yourself, as John 6.44 tells us, that they might receive salvation, forgiveness, and eternal life this very day. Lord, would you do a work in the sinner today as you once did a work in this wretched sinner, rescuing me from me and allowing me now to serve you and to fellowship with you and to sacrifice and to pour out my life as, a, as an offering on an altar before you. Lord, would you save the sinner today? Would you receive all the glory for it in Jesus' name? Thank you for listening to the Key Life Fellowship Pulpit Ministry Podcast. If you would like to talk with one of our pastors, please email us at info at keylifefellowship.org or call us at 281-689-1604. You can also visit our website at www.keylifefellowship.com. We hope and pray you have a blessed week. And remember, you are light in the darkness. Thank you.